Yes, sir. Hello, listener. Welcome to episode five of Area de Rigori. That is ADR, your weekly dose of all things culture, all things Serie A for BTL, BreakingTheLines.com. I'm your host, Danish Iqbal, joined by the ever-regular Maxi Angelo. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you doing, Max? I just got off of work, so now I'm great. What? You hate your job? No. I, I'm just tired. Right, yeah. Were you on the Champions League ship, were you? Yep. Yeah, it was It was uh, really fun. I covered um, Liverpool, uh, Club Bruges, and um, Atletico. Did did you, just out of curiosity, did you watch it on like one big screen and there was four other games? Like there's four games on this at the same time or? No, we have uh, many screens. So I had like two small monitors and then we have bigger screens as well. So we're loaded with screens. Ah, multi-screen. Lovely. Yes. We do have a special guest this week, don't we, Max? Yes, we do. Casey Affleck. No, I'm joking. No, it's not Casey Affleck. Casey <laughs> Evans has joined us. Thank you very much for doing this, my man. Uh, no problem. I'm, I'm glad to be on. And thank you for adding some enthusiasm to my presence. It's, uh, <laughs> of course, of course. Your, your presence is always enthusiastic. Yes. Is it not? Uh, I, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I love that. the pause. <laughs> I love the pause. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Okay, so you are um, uh, interacting with you on Twitter and stuff as well. You are a Serie A head yourself. Yes, I am. I, I, I quite enjoy a bit of Serie A. I've watched it. Um, with my, my entry into Serie A was obviously um, like you had the, like the Italian football show uh, very early on when I was younger. So I'd watched AC Milan and stuff like that. But my main like way into Serie A is very weird is the... Um, the seven nil thrashing of Roma, or seven one thrashing of Roma. I can't remember Come exactly. Come on, um, by United, uh, and I kind of watched him, and then everyone was like, "Roma's really good. This is a really good result." And I was like, "Yeah, I kind of half watched them, but I'll watch a bit more." And obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. My, my, my favorite player is Francesco Totti. So yeah, those were the fun days. Actually, it's funny you should mention Francesco Totti. Max, did you see the news this week? Yeah, I just saw it Eesh. before we jumped on. Our hearts and minds go out to out to Francesco. You you saw what happened, right, Casey? Or... Uh, yeah, no, I uh, I think I retweeted the post. God damn, man, how, Totti of all people, like how it, it, does this? I wonder if his it's still his wife, right? That they're not like divorced or anything now. Yeah, I think he, I think he's okay. he's talking yeah, back I... on some stuff because I've, I think that happened over like lockdown a lot of this, and obviously speaking. Of... Yeah, um, there was. Basically, it's a legend. Francesco Totti claims his wife's infidelity caused their marriage to break down. Um, and then he spoke out on that. What I want to know is, like, is she, is this woman still in Rome? Because uh, can she be? All right, that's what that's what I'm. <laughs> the first thing I would have done if I saw that, I would have got a flight ticket off to, I don't know, Naples or Torino. Navarra on Tuscany or anything anywhere yeah no I I think um, he meant that it uh, it kind of were a lot of things happening that accumulated up to him 
ultimately hitting a depression almost. Yeah, it's sad. Um, yeah, it's he sad, also really. lost his dad to COVID. Yeah, went through a tough, tough period. The 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 god of Rome. But anyway, this is um, this is not a podcast about Francesco Totti's personal life. This is a podcast about Syria. So let's get into the scores for the last week. Uh, Napoli won, Spezia nil. Inter won, Torino nil. Sampdoria won, AC Milan two. AC Milan winning away. Atalanta won, Cremonese won. These were on the Sunday fixtures. Sassuolo won, Udinese three. Bologna two, Fiorentina one. Lecce won, Monza won. Lazio 2, uh, Verona 0, and then Juventus 2, and Salernitana 2. Mental game, we will get into that first, I think. And then to finish us off on Monday, it was Jose Mourinho's Roma winning away at Empoli 2-1. Let's get in straight away to Juventus 2, Salernitana 2, two and this was the some of the most remarkable 10 minutes I've seen in a football game. Syria went all the way off. There's the capacity, this league has the capacity to produce a game like that where just the balmy goes on and the foolishness goes on and just kamikaze mayhem goes on and you can't really keep a lid on it. And we kind of needed it because it's been a few weeks now with a lot yes, of you know, new draws. We've been saying, um, and a very good Twitter account, Dia Balexa, who's a Juve fan herself, said that it feels like the teams are being a little more, more defensive this year. So last year there was tons of goals conceded, but it does feel like this year the team sort of shut up shop a little bit. I don't think Juventus are bad. <laughs> so it's like, I just thought, I, I was watching that game and I was like, I'm, it's glad the last 10 minutes happened because the first... No, but that's that's what Max Allegri gets you really. Um, but but it, it does feel like, I think a lot of the middle teams or the fodder are sort of just prioritizing defense this year um but but anyway i mean the, the, getting into this game so juve go two nil down uh bremer pulls one back on the 51st minute and then it looks like juve can come roaring back because they start to to come back obviously it goes up until the 93rd minute bonucci steps up in a sergio ramos-esque manner takes a penalty off vlahovic or allegri lets uh, bonucci take the penalty he misses the penalty scores from the rebound and then Adrius Milik scores in the 96th minute from a corner um, takes his shirt off gets a second yellow, the ref sends him off, ref then gets sent to VAR, disallows the goal which then just basically unleashes a royal rumble between the two benches Max Allegri gets sent off in the ensuing chaos, Quadrado gets sent off Fabio Fa- Fa- Fabrizio Fazio did I pronounce that right? I think Fabrizio Fazio gets sent off for Salernitana uh, and this was all within the space of like 10 minutes right towards the end. This was a game that we needed, man, like you said, Max. Yeah, it's been a lot of draws, especially in nil-nil draws, so this was... I mean, it's still a draw. Yeah, it wasn't a draw, but... Uh... <laughs> score draw, score draw. Yeah, score draw. This is the kind of draw we can accept. I mean, they unless you don't watch this league every week... It's very hard to explain what goes on. The officiating is that bad that something like this can happen. Um, let's let's get into the goal first of all. Juve should have had three points from this game. We can criticize Max Allegri and, and his style of football and 
what Juve are trying to do this year all we want. The fact is they, they should have three points. Um, I don't know how VAR doesn't see the Kandrava is standing right near the corner flag. Uh, there were reports in Italy that um, the VAR referees actually didn't have that footage. So they how? I don't know. I don't know how. how? But there so, was so... a report about it today that they didn't have that footage. So, so I think there's a what kind of happens is, I think someone explained it. I can't remember. I think it was on Julian Loren's uh, podcast. Um, the VAR, they have 18 cameras that can pick up all the footage in the, in the, um, in the stadium. But it seemed that whoever gives the footage to the VAR to then officiate just assumed that Kondraver had left, so didn't send them the footage that would have shown that Kondraver was still there and only showed them where, obviously, the camera looks into the box and mm. over what would be Kondraver's head. So you didn't actually see it. So the VAR didn't actually have that footage, like you said. But the fact was, is I think, yeah, it was just a really weird one. that They just assumed that 35-year-old Kondraver wasn't just going to go, ah, actually, don't need to move. Yeah, I mean, the the explanation I can reason with, but surely the point of VAR is to look at each camera. I mean, it's not it's not really that hard. It's actually funny because um, during midweek, um, Manchester United got a penalty against them, which shouldn't have been a penalty. But uh, a United supporter wrote to me then, is it? Was it, it wasn't me, was it? Always this bad. <laughs> It wasn't me, was it? No, no, it wasn't you. <laughs> I was in the stadium and I still, I, I, obviously I was like right behind it and I didn't know, but obviously people on Twitter were like swearing blind it wasn't a penalty and I was like, okay. Then I watched it afterwards and I was like, I, I just, I don't understand yeah. physically so, how I was given a penalty twice over because the referee was standing right next to it. <laughs> yeah, someone wrote to me, are, are Italian referees always this bad? And I was kind of like, you should yes. get it out. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh, but I think it's funny that Milik, who, by the way, um, you know, he, he came into this season with a lot of flack, but he's made an instant impact, by the way. He's he's a really, really good player for, for Juventus. He's, it looks really good. He gave him a, sh- a shot in the arm when he came on. Um, he he got sent off, Quadrado and Fazio got sent off, and Allegri got sent off. And then directly after the game, Allegri was asked straight away about the referees, and he said... Um, I would rather not speak. I want to go and eat something, which just clearly states that like managers in this league are just sick and tired of the officiating. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Spalletti getting sent off and Sarri uh, sticking up a middle finger to someone on the Hellas Verona bench later on. But, um, I mean, we, we can talk for days on end about the officiating. What did we think of Juve? I, I think that... Um... First and foremost, uh, the defense is not good. It's very disorganized and uh, they're clumsy and I don't know. Um, they're not not really good at all. Um, I'm I'm not sure. Quadrado's a right back and Bremer is still new, um, so maybe we shouldn't draw conclusions too soon. But I mean, this game they looked a mess. There was some weird, th- like James Horncastle said it as well when um, he did the post-match analysis. There was some weird um, decisions going on. Quadrado was being played in like the opposite flank of where he's normally played. Um, I-, I thought that he 
I thought Philip Kostic was really good again. Yeah. Uh, and then, and he took him off probably 10 minutes before the end for Danilo. Uh, Matthias Sule got chucked on with five minutes left. Uh, I think we've said it numerous times, but the problem is when you play the football Allegri players, there's always going to be questions. So if results don't come, the, the questions are going to be twofold. And adding to that, there's no Di Maria, there's no Pogba, there's no Chiesa as well. Um, the pressure is going to mount. I know that he should have three points. Having said like all of those things, I'm just rem- remembering last year when... Do you remember Juve started slow last year, right? Yeah, they had their worst start since the 60s. They had a horrible start and then they went 16 unbeaten. And then people started murmuring about a possible Scudetto challenge. So I, I don't know. I, th- I think Allegri is still capable of that. Uh, I, I don't know with this team. The thing is, is like obviously there's some good players in there. Kostic, I, I'm a big advocate for. I really liked him at Frankfurt, and obviously I thought he should have got moved a lot earlier, based on the fact that every single striker he played with did really well and then really badly straight after, and no one seemed to ever make the connection that he's a really good creative outlet for if you want to get a striker in the box, which I think is kind of a bit why Milik is great because Milik kind of does the things that Vlahovic should be doing but doesn't particularly do. Um, I think because I, the, my main problem with Juve is one, just play free at the back. Like you have Quadrado, who's really good at going forward. You have Kostic, who can literally lock down an entire wing by himself. Just play free at the back. And two, their midfield, yes, through injuries is, but they just have too many at the moment, especially players that are always the I I would say a third string players. So say the the dream Juve midfield is probably Locatelli and. Um, as the like the register is the kind of guy who kind of distributes out a bit. You have the Pogba as your guy who can play it through the lines, and then you you throw a McKenny, um, a Rabio, or a Moretti into it, and then that kind of makes the solidifies it up a bit. But the problem is if they're playing three, they're playing like I think they played Paradez, um, Moretti, and McKenny this game. Yeah. And all three of them don't have the ability to break through the lines for the passing, so that kind of limits the strikers. They don't have the ability to really defend by themselves. So they kind of run around uncoordinated. And I think that kind of lends to the fact of the defence looking a bit organised because they're kind of having to just cover up the spaces that everyone's leaving because no one, no one's really a specialist at anything. They're just kind of that guy who you're like, okay, you're the third guy who does everything else the other two don't do. Yeah, I, I agree and disagree with your point. I thought I think Paredes is pretty good at breaking through the lines. He was pretty good at breaking through the lines against Paris and against Selene Tara as well. But then I agree with your point in that they just really can struggle to construct attacks apart from like making Vlahovic a target man or making Vlahovic drop deep and then playing off of him. There isn't really too much to really attack with uh, Allegri basically relies on getting one goal in the first half and then shutting up shop yeah I think Paradise is pretty good I think the problem with Paradise is he's very inconsistent sometimes he can have the game where he breaks the line sometimes he can have the game where he just looks like he's another just guy another body and he, he does do a little bit more defensive work like I think I think I probably I, I'm, I'm probably saying in terms of the other two who are very clear specialists in terms of Locatelli and like Pogba Right. He's a little bit more um, jack of all trades, master of none, and occasionally can step up, but not not like one you'd be like, I can build a midfield around him, sort of thing. 
I, I personally think that you can build a midfield around him, but I don't think he's got the other components that he needs next to him, really. Or he has the components next to him, but they're not functioning in the right way at the minute. Just McKenny and Marecki flag next to him are not correct for me. Uh, maybe we'll see when Pogba comes back in, but I doubt that he's going to play Pogba and Paredes and then just, I don't know, maybe just hope that McKenny is the only one that does defensive duties. But not Max, what do you think? For the, for the first time in maybe two or three years, I think that most of Juve's signings this, this summer has been uh, what they need and uh, hits. I think that Bremer is a great replacement for the Ligt. I think that Kostic is a great left winger and the same goes for... Di Maria, Paredes, and, uh, and Milik. Well, Milik, I think, is a great player to have uh, as kind of rotation with Dusan Vlaovic now, uh, at least this um, this fall when, when there's going to be Champions League almost every week. And uh, you have a similar type of player who obviously ha- has had a good start. Um, my problem is I think that many of them are misused. Um, and I think that it's easy to blame Max Allegri, but I think that it's basically comes down to him. Um, you don't get the most out of players like Kostic or Di Maria or, or yeah, if, if you play this kind of, um, defensive football he wants to play and I don't see why he should play it when Juve are one of the dominant teams in, in the league um, so I, I think as as Casey uh, touched upon I think that for example play back three uh, would get more out of players like Kostic and Cuadrado um, and that would benefit the entire team. It's interesting stuff. They've kind of hung their hat on on Allegri now because the contract's till 2025. Yeah, they can't uh, fire him now. No, they can't fire him. Otherwise, they'll have to pay him out. They, like, obviously went to Zari. Zari probably didn't have enough time to implement what he wanted, but then also wanted to win a Scudetto, so he compromised then they went to Pirlo Pirlo did, didn't really give him the chance to implement what he wanted properly then they went back to the tried and tested method of Allegri and now they're just I guess kind of stuck there when managers like Pochettino and Tuchel are available yeah I, I think that um, a manager like Thomas Tuchel would be great for this Juventus team but um, as you say now they've kind of locked themselves in the Max Allegri ring corner, so um, they gotta make the most out of it. But um, yeah, playing this type of football, I I really can't see them um, coming for us Scudetto this year. I it's think a, it's, it's a slow start, but they still haven't lost. And I don't know. I've just got this feeling that he can still somehow grind out results like the because th- these were the same murmurings that we heard last year and then they went 16 unbeaten yes yes it is but i also think that whilst you've are kind of the same team in a way the the way they play football and 
and the way players are used, uh, I think that the distance between them and teams like Inter and Napoli have become bigger because I think they've improved so much more than Juve have. Um, so that's kind of why I I think the distance between the top three and, and Juve is bigger than the, uh, than last year. And yeah, that's why I can't see um, them coming for the title. But as you say, we said the same thing last year and they, at least they came top four. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I've got a hard run in, um, well, like a bit of a bit of an easier run and then a bit of a harder run. They've got Monza and Bologna. Bologna's been playing quite well. Actually. Like, I mean, I think, well, I think um, Arnautovic has been playing quite well for them. Uh, then Milan, then Torino, then Empoli. Uh, this is all in between, like Maccabi Haifa uh, twice and Benfica twice. So I think they've got like a little nice run to try and get some grind some of the results out and get some people back from injuries because I think the injury list has to to give them some like leeway. The injury list has been kind of problematic for them because obviously Di Maria would help a lot in terms of pressing to the front and give them a lot of creativity on the right that will kind of probably then take a lot of the weight off Quadrado to do it all. Um, obviously, like the midfield problems they've said, we've already kind of touched on. So, yeah, I think obviously they just kind of need to, <laughs> as much as I've just criticised Max Allegri for doing this, they just need <laughs> to grind it out until they can get back to where they need to be. Hmm. What did we make of that remarkable last 10 minutes? That was so fun. That was absolutely fun. Yeah. That was absurdly fun. It's the team. I mean, yeah, it's it, the it, team example of couldn't happen to a nicer bloke. It's yeah. like everything, all the misfortune. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm fine with it. It's Juventus. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Someone someone put up a a picture of uh, of the goal ghost goal uh, you've had. Uh, what ghost goal? Uh, when I think it was Montari. Uh, I think it was. 20, oh, that black oh, ghost goal. And uh, someone put up a picture of it and said, "This is why we don't feel sorry for yeah. you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. F- sorry, Juve fans. Please don't DM me telling me that you you hate me, and don't DM Max. You can DM Casey if you want. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Juve have had some decisions in in the past. I think that that have gone their way a little bit. Not just some. Quite many. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Yeah. Concluding, I think that uh, going forward, it will be a very, very important period for for Juve now. Um, dare I say, season defining? I mean, they got yeah. back on track now. It does seem as if something's gonna give this this uh, this season for Max. Yeah. Let's move on to talk some Inter Milan into one. Torino nil. What what did we make of this, Max? Mm. Inter kind of struggled. Yeah, they uh, did. They really I, did. I think, but I think I want to praise Torino more because they've had a great start to the season and they kind of took on Inter very well. Um, but at the end, um, Inter kind of had that, um, you know, uh, with the 
we discussed it before that they have some kind of winning DNA and uh, even if they don't even if they aren't the best team on the pitch they still find a way to win and I think that's what they did um, here against Torino as well they could have lost this game into first of all yeah for they, sure they could have lost this game they look very very flat it's particularly obvious that the, the linchpin of their summer is missing like it's quite obvious that Romelu Lukaku is absent that they, they clearly feel um a little bit jaded without his presence but by the way as a side note Vojvoda is a fantastic player yeah I think uh, that uh, Nikola Vlasic is a great signing as well D- down that left it was uh throughout Vojvoda attacked Dumfries side uh obviously because Dumfries kept pushing up trying to be trying to create space wide, cross it in for, for Zeko. So they kept exploiting that. Vojvoda was uh, bombing down the wing. Vlasic would join in and uh, that would lead them to put it on a plate for Sanabria. They had quite a few shots on target. I think this is one of the rare Inter Milan games where I go, oh, actually Handanovic is re- was really good for them. Normally yeah, I'm I saying how, how he just flaps at everything. Um, but, he had a save um, quite early on uh, on a shot from from Vlasic, which was really good. Yeah, uh, but it, it did tend to just I don't know. Inter looked extremely flat. Yeah, and I think um, as I touched upon uh, earlier, that I think that we we see some great progression in Toro's project. I think they they came out quite fearless um, and. They didn't really um, adapt their football to Inters. They just had their game plan, which they executed um, and did it very well. They they pressed extremely well. Yeah. As well, they they pressed like really really well. Uh, Skriniar, De Vrij, Di Marco, and then Brozovic would sort of drop deep to to build up, but because like Sek or maybe a Lenetti was was pushing up to. To basically press uh, Brozovic on the ball, what was happening was Borella was then dropping deep as well. So then you've lost an extra man in midfield pushing up with the attack, which which kind of just just let Torino press both of them in um, in defense when they drop back in, uh, limiting them centrally. It, it, I thought that strangely, Damian looked the more attacking fullback in this one. Normally, the onus is all on Dumfries. Yeah, I think that Darmian has uh, been great, to be honest, throughout this uh, start of the season. I think we praised him last week as well. Um, he doesn't really do much going forward, but what he does, he kind of nails it, um, if it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I was surprised as well because... I got the same uh, feeling as you you did um, that the Dumfries were the, was the more uh, defensive one of them. Strangely enough, for this, I think because Vojvoda was so threatening down that down the wing. Um, but, but yeah, what did you think of of Inter Casey looking a little bit flat? I, I think I, from what I, I've seen the highlights, I've kind of had a little bit of a read through of like the breakdown of the match and. It seems to be there's just a compound of a lot of the issues that they had at the start of the season. Like I think what Max said about Lukaku, uh, I think was um is pretty relevant. I think Edin Dzeko has finally started to show his age a bit in terms of I think he's just not really 
like he had that thing of he always knew how to position himself perfectly, despite the fact that he didn't really have the pace or the agility to do it. However, he seems to now not have even the smallest amount of pace to do that, um, which I think is obviously it doesn't really help into that much because obviously like what you were saying, like when they kind of drop deep to try and build up, they always had that get out of jail free option of just ping it up to Jekko and he can yes. hold it up. Uh, and they and they don't seem to have that now, so they kind of get pinned back in their own um, half by the defense. Um, again, I, the thing I still I still to this day don't understand. I mean, what like um, the point of signing Robin Golsons was? Because um, I feel like obviously they kind of usually balance it out. Because obviously Damien's been playing really well, and that kind of explains why he's not been playing. But and he kind of balances out a lot with. Dumfries basically just playing second, playing the Branislav Ivanovic role of just being a striker in a right back's body. Um, but it, I just feel like he's just he's wasted. I feel like sometimes in these sorts of games where they're definitely being pinned back with Dumfries because they're just they know that Dumfries will have to not attack if you just press him a lot. You could bring on someone like Robin Gossens and just kind of add a load of creativity on the other side, which then probably helps Dumfries a bit because they now have to now move a bit over and then it gives them space. Um, but yeah, I don't think that sign has particularly worked out. And I just kind of, it, it feels bad because obviously like at Atalanta, he was really, really good. And he obviously, he amazing. When, when he played for Germany as well, he broke into the German team. He looked incredible down the left. He's now probably lost his place to Realm. But this is a Serie A podcast. I'm not going into the Bundesliga. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I, I can do, but like in terms no, no, of that, don't, don't. I won't do. <laughs> but in terms of the, uh, yeah, I think he, obviously he just kind of was one of those movers that made a lot of sense, but then instantly didn't because of how they used him. I I do wonder what what on earth has happened to Robin Golsons. I mean, he looked so pristine in that Moncler jumper that they that they put on him. Have you seen that one, Max? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen this, Casey? They, they get the the Montclodge that you've not seen the Montclair jumper that they give to inter signings when they sign contracts. I have not seen this Montclair jumper. I I I have seen the Montclair jumper, but probably didn't realize it was a thing. I have definitely not seen Golson's in one. <laughs> They've got a partnership with Montclair, and all of their signings wear it. Um, it's pretty terrific, actually. No, why? Why look oh. it up now? I'll look it up. You you continue talking about whatever it is. But I'll anyway, get back anyway the entire you, you, the entire entertainment Montclair jumpers. That's the you, you give you give your reaction to the Montclair jumper, and Max is going to tell me about what he thinks of Robin Golson's career into Milan. Yeah, it feels like mm, it's never really coming to um, the style of play and everything around it. Um, he came, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was injured when he came. Uh, and he's never really taken a place. It feels like um, Nsagi prefers either Darmian or uh, Di Marco. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, because I think that uh, Gosens in general is a better player than both. Um he can he at least at at least at, at Atlanta he could um, hold down a wing on his own and kind of 
um, produce assists or, or even goals. Um, so I don't really know why, but it feels like he's never really gotten a chance and come into the rhythm at Inter, really. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting one to to keep an eye on there because when when he signed, I was so excited. Or I mean, I was excited for Inter fans. Um, but it, I think you can put that down as an unsuccessful signing now, really. Yeah, it, there were rumors on deadline that they, that he was going away uh, to to Leverkusen. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, d- despite all the things we've said, Inter did grind out a one 0 win. Yeah. So they keep uh, they keep chugging along now, basically two points from the top. One thing uh, that's just going to be the Serie A this season, isn't it? It's just going to be everyone's just going to keep chugging along. <laughs> it's like just keep grinding out the wins and hope. It's a mid off, is what it is. It's a mid off. One one thing I'm not, I don't know really why, uh, but Insagi seems to prefer. Uh, Di Marco in a back three over yeah. Bastoni. That's a really interesting oh, point I was going to make, actually. Lisandro uh, Bastoni was probably last year one of the most, oh, last two years, I think, since Conte came in, one of the most exciting like centre-backs as well with the the Bastoni overlap, if you will. And the, honestly, and the way it was he, kind of close between him and Bremer for best centre-back. Centre-back last year, yeah. But the... the yeah... That might have affected him too, but they they lose a lot of creation just by him not being in there as a third centre back. Um, and they, also, also I think that they lose a lot of defensive stability when when they play Di Marco instead of him there because he's better than Di Marco defensively, but he still has the offensive creativity. Uh, so they can play both Di Marco and and Bastoni, but they don't. Yeah, the, I think also we're now seeing that. There were a lot of players that thrived and probably reached their highest, highest ceiling and their peak under Antonio Conte. And now we're sort of seeing them either trudge off or just kind of meander a little bit. Um, I know Latoro Martinez has regained a, a bunch of form, but there's a bunch of players there that have not been anywhere near as the level that they were at under Conte consistently for that for, that, for those for those three two three seasons. Yeah, and I also think that um, in, Inter lose a lot this year um, due to Hakan Chalanoglu not being in, in form because they lose a lot of offensive creativity there. Um, he, he scored seven goals and made 13 assists last season and now he has one goal and one assist in six games. Um, that, along with Lukaku being out, I think has hurt Inter offensively a lot. Mm. You just wait for those set pieces, Max. He's going to stat pad. Don't yeah. you worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he will. But I was surprised last year because he continued um, his great form he had at Milan, uh, not only through set pieces, but also through open play. Uh, and when he's not at his best this year, I think Inter as a team has lost a lot. Agreed there. I mean, they did win. So they they go chugging along. Casey, did you have a t- look at the Moncler jumper? I did. I sent you over the image that I saw. They look like a, um, <laughs> a, a, a late nineties boy band, um, or at least the cast of Entourage. 
it's like a black and white photo of them all just like on a anyway okay AC Milan let's move on to the Crosstown Rivals beat Sampdoria in a 2-1 this was also it wasn't as chaotic as um, Juventus Salernitana but it was it was fun still as well um, red card for I believe AC Milan yeah Rafaleau Rafaleau yeah double yellow I was just reading all the yellow cards because Marco Giampaolo got sent off as well right at the end. Um, <laughs> Milan were going along fine. Rafaleal was being Rafaleal on the on the left hand side. Pabega had a decent game as well. They score a good goal uh, in Marseille, and then I think the red card just changes everything for them. Really, yeah, it did. Um, not only did they lose a player, they lost their most creative player. Uh, so they were hurt both, uh, both offensively and uh, numerically. Um, and that kind of gave um, Sampdoria some air to breathe and kind of um, reorganize themselves and uh, get an get an advantage. And um, so that that uh, red card really changed the game. But uh, the same as Inter, uh, Milan found a way to win, um, which... Pretty, pretty doggedly. Yeah. When when it went to 1-1, when Juricic scored on the 57th minute, it genuinely looked as if like Sampdoria were going to go for the win. Yeah. Like he, he made offensive changes as well. He bought, uh, I think he bought Gabbiadini on straight away on the 59th minute for Berzinski. Yeah, and Giampaolo was like, we can win here. Um, and then, obviously, they get a penalty. I think it's a penalty, to be honest, the, the Giroud's penalty. Yeah, get a penalty. The funny thing is that no one reacted to it. Not even no, you. No, 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 no. It, this was a good VAR call for once, but um, I, I, I thought this was a, a good VAR call, a penalty. Milan score from there, and then from, from then onwards, it was like 22 minutes of dogged, Backs to the wall defending. I've never seen Oliver Giroud run as much as I did in this game. <laughs> that man is exhausted. Yeah. Oliver Giroud, if you're listening, go have yourself a Gatorade, my friend. Um, I don't know how they did it, but Milan basically, I think he chucked Tamori on as well at the end. He, they were basically playing a back five. They were playing um, basically a 5-3-1, defending really well. But like whenever they cleared the ball, Giroud would get it, chest it down, either buy a foul or like just try and ricochet off the other player and kick it out. Um, and because Pioli had made his three subs, you can have five subs in Italy, but you can only make it in three slots, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. That makes sense, right? So no, he, <laughs> he he had used all of his subs. So I, I think this was one of the best Giroud performances in a Milan shirt for me, just as well as the goal. Yeah, uh, one thing I thought was um, kind of uh, interesting was in the uh, it was towards the end I think maybe fifteen or, or ten minutes left of the game or so. Um, Pioli actually um, subbed uh, Tomaso Pobega, defensive player for uh, Aster Vranks, uh, one of the new signings. Yeah, uh, and I I thought. Even though Aster Franks is more of an offensive player than Tommaso Pobega, uh, it was he had a uh, an interesting effect because he's he has a much better ball retention um, than than Pobega. So 
he kind of um, could waste some time just by holding the ball or or kind of pausing the game, um, which 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 I thought was very interesting and brave by Pioli. Um, he kind of went for a player who doesn't bring the same defensive stability, but uh, can kill time a bit better. Um, and that that was something I th- I thought was uh, really fascinating about this game. Casey, um, yeah, I kind I kind of agree with that sort of sentiment. Uh, I quite liked uh, Charles de Cadalara. Uh, I think he's getting. I think that's how you pronounce it. I did just look it up just to make sure. Um, CDK. <laughs> I did quite like his performance. I thought he got more involved. Unluckily, got the goal ruled out that he thought he'd scored. But I think Pioli kind of said um, after the game, he was like, I, I like I like him. I like what he brings to goals or no goals. So I, I think I think he's getting there. He, he, he's, he's just a very weird player to fit in. And I think he's just kind of finding his feet around everyone. Um, but yeah, I quite, I quite liked his... I, I always like his performances. I think he's... A very good player and I think he he works he tries to work with everyone around him very well yeah I think they certainly needed that link in in camp after sort of a, an iffy season from Benesser last year but he looks Wait. so young he looks so young he does and I it, can't get over how long he, how young he looks like if you stretched out a 14 year old on a rack like he's just <laughs> very tall but he has to say he's a 14-year-old. <laughs> oh, you could have just agreed and said he looks young. Jesus, Keith. But I had to say he's very tall. Like That's the thing. Like, he, no, no, he's very tall. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. incredibly tall. That's, he's, kind of, yeah. that's kind of an interesting thing about him because um, looking generally, uh, those players in his role at, as a number 10 are, are often quite small or smaller um but he kind of has the the physique the height and the and the technique uh which is a very interesting combo for Milan there because not only can he kind of work between the lines and um create for others but he can also kind of come as a second wave on crosses in the box uh which he kind of becomes a weapon Milan didn't have last season from that position um, so yeah, I really like what he brings to the team. Everton effect. Just put a very tall guy at number ten and just have him <laughs> running really. Hey, late. if it works, yeah. if it works, don't yeah. be hating on Fellaini now. I'm not hating on Fellaini. I love Fellaini. Yeah, we love we love a good but a Chester of the ball. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of offers he offers a lot. Um, I think obviously like his height. It's one of those weird ones where his height doesn't. It, it can be used as a benefit, but then it also kind of. When you when you're being surrounded by a lot of players who are very small, very nippy, very agile, it kind of does make him look worse when he can't do those things. When those are kind of the things that everyone accepts are very, very good and very useful in those positions. Um, but I, I think you think it's just kind of finding his role in the team. Um, obviously, like it's kind of one of those ones where it's like it kind of got cut short by Liao's uh, red or two yards to a red. So. Eventually he'll get the goals, and eventually he'll, he'll find his place. But it's just, it's just fine. He's doing the right things off without getting the output. I think. Yeah, um, Milan don't win this game like two years ago, though. By the way, two seasons or a seasons ago, like that, the way they dug in and and won at the at the end in particular was uh, like that's the that's what they've established this year. 
I don't, I don't think we can forget if it if it's going to be a mid off or a grinding out like we've said. I think Milan are the favourites though. Uh, Darnish, see, you, you can't see it, but I, I'm raising my hand here because I want to say something. What you say? Yeah, can can I say my favourite thing about this game? No. Okay. No, I'm joking. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as we as we mentioned earlier, uh, Marco Giampaolo, the Sampdoria manager, he got a red card. Um, and after the game, he was asked about it. <laughs> and he says, yes, yes, I deserved my red card. I called the referee a moron. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had no shame about it. Marco Giampaolo has like the weirdest look. I don't know. He just he just looks like he works too hard. He's, he, he's he in an office. He looks exhausted. He just he looks tired. He looks disheveled. He never looks cool. I'm currently watching, I don't know what the actor's name is, but I'm currently watching Glow. And there's a producer in that show. Um, Tom Cruise? No, it's not Tom Cruise, but he looks exactly like him. But like the Italian version, <laughs> if, if it's put that way. Um, who, stars, who stars in Glow? Uh, it is about women's wrestling. So it's um, it's awesome Bray, I think. But um, let me just see if I can find the cast and I'll send you a picture. It's so great that if you type in this, if you type in the word glow, you don't actually get the TV series actually offered to you. Um, again, leave me alone for a second. I will get back. <laughs> I will be right, right back. Right. Casey's going to look something up, and and he'll be he'll be right back. Just some some other fixtures that we'll quickly talk about. Napoli beat uh, Spezia one nil, and another manager was sent off. Spalletti was sent off as soon as Raspadori scored in the dying embers of the game. He turned to the Spezia bench and yelled. <laughs> like, literally, go back and watch the clip. He literally clambers over the fourth official and yells at him. Um, the benches were heated this week, man. We were just talking off, off air about Maurizio Sarri stick up, stuck up a finger as well at Heres Verona, um, probably because they sold Simeone and they sold Caprari. Um, but, yeah, managers were heated and benches were heated, but it was a really important win for for Napoli just after the Liverpool win. It's a much changed team as well. There wasn't any Osimhen, so anything. Uh, 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 quite a few players missing, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they, the thing with Napoli, I think they've done they've done kind of the right thing this this summer when kind of getting a lot of players just to kind of be like, okay, if this guy's tired or this guy needs to come off or this guy's injured, there's someone who can slot in and can do the job or get the goals or do whatever. And that's kind of what Raspadori's done uh, in this game. Um, but I, yeah, I think the thing is, is like th- this was kind of the big the big test for Napoli, I think, in terms of what in the long term would they have a chance at the title. It was like if your major player, like say two major players are out, can you still get a win? Can you still yeah. get the goals and all that sort of stuff? And I think they showed, I mean, it, they left it very late, <laughs> but they kind of showed that they can do that at least. Yeah. I thought you you guys pretty much, as I said, about, about both Inter and Milan. Napoli are finding ways to win. Um, to finding ways to grind out that win. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of repetitive, but it's true. Uh now, now they um, they won it in the 89th minute, and uh, that with a heavily rotated team, I think it it's a great 
sign of strength for, for Napoli because I don't think they would have been able to do this last season. Um, at least not um, rotate so many players and get this result. Um, but now they did. Um, and I think that Spalletti's uh, product is moving forward as well. And Yeah, Spalletti's done a great job. Yeah. Just, just a quick word on Spalletti. Did you please tell me you heard the sound he made? when Elmas gave the ball away. Uh, I have a vague memory. I have you not heard of this? I'm going to play you the sound. This was Spalletti when Elmas gave the ball away. <laughs> I love Spalletti, man. That, that, sc- that, that screeching was, was Luciano Spalletti. Uh, I, I think that basically covers everything in terms of the Napoli game. Casey, you wanted to talk very quickly about the interesting things going on at Lazio with Mauricio Sarri? Yeah, obviously, like, uh, I'll, I have a second option, but I was going to kind of talk about him in the, uh, at the end of the show a bit because, obviously, his, his middle finger up at the ref was the, a, be- a beautiful thing because it's just, it's just perfectly Sarri um, <laughs> because he's just a very angry Italian man and he has always been a very angry Italian man. And I think he fits into that lovely archetype of just... I will do whatever I want on a football field and everyone will just kind of go its way. And it it goes into his football as well, which is what we're going to talk about now. Um, Yeah, like Lazio are getting it. That's probably the the best way of summarising it. I think that the way you watched them last season, the kind of, there was the little foundations there of what you could see of like Saribal or Sarismo, like, you, you could see it a bit, but you, you were like, oh, this is where it breaks down. This is where they don't know what to do. This is what all this sort of thing. But yeah, the, you see like it in bursts now and you can see like the fully formed moves and like that sort of very, it's like organized disorganization. Like they know what to do in certain situations by themselves. He like, he doesn't drill. Like I think I, I read something once, he doesn't really drill. He like specific moves. He's not like, we're just going to do this move a hundred times. Then we're going to try and pull off in a match. He's like, right, you're going to get the ball here. Just do something that, that makes sense. And that's kind of the way the mentality. And you can see that with Lazio. I mean, obviously like Chiron Mobile, you're always going to ban him to score. You'll never see the goal. You'll never know know, know how he did it. You just look at the score sheet and go, oh yeah, Chiron Mobile scored. It's just kind of um, thing. Yeah, I think he's, uh, he usurped Batistuta's record in the yes. Serie yeah. He did, yeah, he got 185 to Batistuta's 184. I'm very glad that Tati has 65 goals on him because, <laughs> not going to lie, I, I, it's just it's just the one he's just like, he, he gets loads of goals, but like, it's it's that's his game. Like, it's I, I, it's one of those things, like, it's one of those debates where everyone will go, oh, Cyril Mobley in, in the top top strikers debate. And I'm like, just please don't do that to me. Like, I, I, I like him in the role he has. Just please don't make me have to, like, argue down. <laughs> Like I think we might have to make you argue. Uh, I'm not. If you start making me argue about Serie A legends against Chiro Mobley, it isn't argument. I mean, no, no, it's an unfair comparison, obviously, because yeah. his career is not concluded. I do think he's underrated. But... Uh, yeah, I think like, I think uh, Lise Elias uh, put it on. It was like the everybody eats era. <laughs> it's like it's the, it's the, it's the Chiro Mobley. is kind of like the, the poster boy of that. Uh, but he, he does it well. Like I can't really argue with that, and it kind no, of. No, I, I I think he's great for Lazio. He fulfills his role really well. Uh, yeah. He's extremely mobile. Gets a ton of goals every year. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think things are coming together nicely for Lazio and Sari. 
Yeah, and I, I quite like Philippe Anderson. Philippe Anderson's like over the last few years, I think his career kind of rejuvenation has been really good because he was obviously really good that season with West Ham and then he kind of just disappeared off the face of the earth uh, while still being at West Ham and then went back to Lazio and he's kind of just like rebuilt himself up to be the player he was at Lazio before. And, I mean, I think there was a ridiculous stat that he had like, the most defensive pressures <laughs> when he was at Lazio before. Um and now he kind of just has that energy still. So it's kind of, it's very good to watch. Yeah. He's also tweaking certain things now. Um, Patrick in, in as the centre-back pairing. He started Marusic and Lazzari together for like the first time in Yonks. So I think he's he's slowly, slowly getting to the things that he wants with this team. Now, to conclude, to finish things off, we're going to come back with the segment, the much-anticipated segment that we haven't done for a while. Our soul and goat of the week. Yay! Yay! Casey doesn't seem very enthusiastic, but anyway. Uh, I, uh, I'm i very enthusiastic. I just do not show it through the medium of booze. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who are we starting off with then? Who's got, um, who's going to be everyone's arsehole of the week? Max? Um... Pains me to say, but we have to go with the with the VAR referees at Juve. Yeah, yeah. I I can't see any other way where we. I'm I'm agree. I'm in agreement with that. Yeah, I I, I can't really argue either way. I mean, I, I would love to just find something else to say uh, and just be like, oh, yeah, the but because it's Juventus, but the kind of thing is just, um, yeah, it's the VAR thing, like. <laughs> I, there's literally nothing else I can say on that, to be honest. I was going to say something maybe to do with the Francesco Totti situation, but eh. Screw it. Yeah. Gold of the week, then. Uh, I will leave this to you. You're putting me on the spot, just like that? You just put me on the spot, and I delivered. Uh, okay. I am going to give it to uh, Simon Kaye. Because I think coming back from like all of that, all of the the injuries last year, and the, I think he was out for like sixteen or seventeen, eighteen games or something, uh, and then he was thrust into the lineup. I think a couple of weeks ago in a, in a difficult game, um, but he but he just looks seamless there now. Um, Tamori didn't start. Kaya started with with Kalulu and they just defended the goal as if their lives depended on it for like the remaining 20 minutes of, the, of that game with 10 men. It also gives Milan a different option now because maybe Pioli would consider playing back five, although he never does. Yeah. But um, it was kind of um, a special game for him as well because it was at uh, the Marassi where he injured himself last season. Yeah. He, were, he was back. Redemption. He also looks like Wagner Lofburg a lot with that ponytail. <laughs> yeah, he brings the Viking to Nordic Viking. I, I think my my only shout would be that just I I think I think he I, he goes he does very well. He's better from Udinese. I think he's I just I just think he's a great player. That is I a shout and a half. I think he obviously came on, scored two goals. Um, I just think he's just one of those players where you're like, this guy definitely should not be in Udinese and he'll definitely not be there next season. Like, I thought he was going to go this season, 
but he's obviously kept him and he's still just banging in the goals. I think he's just a great player. And I just thought I'd give him some love on my appearance on the podcast. <laughs> if if Napoli sell also then last uh, next summer, they that's a logical uh, replacement. For sure. For sure. That concludes things for us, Casey Evans. Thank you so so much for appearing on the on the podcast. If uh, if you have anything to plug, go ahead. Now's the time. Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Casey underscore Evans underscore. I'm assuming it might be linked because that is always a mouthful to say and also to find. Uh, and I also have my own newsletter um, on Substack, uh, played on paper. Uh, I do a uh, currently I'm doing a weekly World Cup series looking back at the history of World Cups. Um, unfortunately, Italy aren't in it because they're not in the World Cup. And um, and also I do a weekly roundup every Monday, which is usually well, it won't be it wasn't this week, but Premier League. But they look at the Serie A. It's usually a game from Serie A, and there's usually a game from around Europe, and maybe just some random one that I found. I think today this week the random one was a Super Classico uh, in Argentina. But yeah, uh, if you want to subscribe to that, it's free and it's where I talk a lot about football. <laughs> Lovely jubbly. Well, thank you so much, listener, for joining us. This was Area de Rigore, episode five for breakingthelines.com. Go ahead and check out all the articles on there and follow the uh, Twitter account, area underscore de Rigore. I've been Dana Shikbal and he's been Maxi Angelo. I have been, yes. Oh, you still are. I am. And we'll see you again, hopefully, next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.